0: All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us all today. We have uh, a number of very special treats today. So I know you can see the baptism. At uh, the end of our 11 o'clock service uh, this morning, we will have um, Pastor John baptize his son today. And so we are looking forward to that. We're very excited about it. And at the conclusion of the sermon this morning at the 930 service, we have true worshipers, and we're very excited about that. And, you know, we often say that we can worship God in many, many different ways. You know, it's not just the praise and worship that we do here. We we see that all of God's creation praises him and worships him. And whether it is the birds or the wind whistling through the trees or beautiful sunset, we know that we can worship God in a number of of many different ways. And so we also say that, you know, when we feel the Spirit of the Lord move upon us, some people simply weep. Some people stand and lift their hands some people have to move and dance and so today we are going to be uh, in for a special treat and to be able to worship God in a way that we normally don't here at Friendship Church and we're very excited so thank you very much for being here with us today let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer God thank you for this opportunity to be here today God thank you for the chance to stand here and worship you lift our voices to you God thank you for allowing us to be able to hear your word today pray that you would move and that your word would go forth and have its way and accomplish its purpose. In your name we pray, amen and amen. So I want to ask everyone a question this morning. What is it to be abandoned? To be left all alone in this world? I can imagine that we've all felt it, but as I go back and read through scriptures, I can imagine Adam and Eve. You know, just imagine after sinning and... Feeling that separation from God. Imagine having to walk out of God's perfect creation, out of the garden, and to turn around and see an angel standing there, and you know, massive angel with a fiery sword, blocking the entrance back to the place that God created for you. I'm sure that they felt alone in this world at that point. Or imagine how Job felt as he sat in the ashes with everything in his world taken away from him in a matter of moments. Imagine that he felt all alone in this world or Abram after he had to flee Egypt after killing one of Pharaoh's men wandering in the desert. I'm sure that he felt alone as well or all of Israel as they wandered through the desert. There seems to be this reoccurring theme where people of God felt as if they were all alone or even imagine Jonah sitting under the tree and all of a sudden that tree starting to wilt in the middle of the desert outside of Nineveh. I'm sure that he felt all alone, even though he was angry and didn't have the right attitude. I'm sure that he still felt all alone. And I know that we feel at times abandoned, both in life and even in faith. And I know that King David felt it because that's what we'll read here today in Psalms 22. But this idea of abandonment was not new for the people of Israel. I think, in fact, for some reason, this feeling of abandonment kind of permeated their hearts and their souls. It was part of their national identity. Even though they were God's chosen people, even though they were the apple of his eye, they still felt, for whatever reason, abandoned throughout most of their journey. And I think it's it's really only human to to feel that way, to feel like we're alone at times, to feel like we're abandoned. And so uh, I think that's why these words at the beginning of Psalms 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think that's why they are so strong. One of the most anguished cries in all of humanity is very easy for us to identify with. I think it was even easy for the Savior to identify with. And so last week I told you that kind of that Psalms 21 leads us on this procession, as you will, prophetically through the streets to the very steps of the gate just outside of the throne room of God. And Psalms 22 would lead us into the very presence of the one who sits on the throne. But the only reason that we are led into the presence of God here in Psalms 22 is because we go the way of the cross. And so I want everyone, if you will, just let's do an exercise in imagination. If you will, just close your eyes for just a few moments. Imagine, if you will, being present as Jesus has just left the courtroom, as He's just left His accusers and He's outside of the building. Imagine, if you will, the massive weight of the cross being laid upon His shoulders and tied to His arms so that He could carry the cross through the streets of Jerusalem. You see, Jesus was forced to walk the way of the cross from the inner city all the way outside of the city to Golgotha because he had to face his accusers and so they in the streets for him and you can even walk that road today in Jerusalem but imagine if you will this cross that was much larger and longer than any of the other crosses so its main beam drags behind him and it's said because they wanted to make an example of him that they made it longer than any other and so just imagine this this cross tied to his arms and to his shoulders and he has to drag it and every pebble every stone that he hits the cross bounces and you have to imagine his shoulders bloody and torn beaten and bruised and the wood pounding into his shoulders and into his back and into his arms every time and with every rock the beam hits the crown of thorns that's on his head and drives it farther into his skull. You have to imagine the weight of the cross that was on his back. Imagine if you will that as he walks, bleeding, beaten, dried blood, open wounds, crown of thorn, intestines exposed, muscles visible through his ripped skin, bruises all over his body, his knees black and blue, swollen from being thrown down time and time again as he was beaten. Imagine, if you will, the continual scraping of his skin on the rocks and the cross on his back as he walks through the streets, digging itself deeper and deeper into his already open wounds. Imagine, if you will, after the seemingly endless trek through the city that Jesus finally makes it, atop the place of the skull. Imagine, it, as you will, if the soldiers untied the cross from his back and then it, boom, falls to the ground. And he's ordered to lay down upon the cross. Imagine, if you will, as he is held in place by soldiers on the middle beam and his right hand is taken and stretched out. And a nail is driven through his hand into the hole in the wood, hit time and time again until that nail takes its final place. And then a rope tied around his left hand. And the soldiers pull and pull and pull so that he's stretched out upon the cross. And the Bible tells us that tendons and ligaments and muscles were pulled out of joint as his body was stretched out so that the second nail could line up with the hole. And then imagine, if you can, his feet being pulled and placed on top of one another and a nail driven through, each nail separating skin and muscle and bone and nerves and tendons. And then imagine, if you will, the cross being lifted up and bouncing violently into the hole in the ground, and it swaying back and forth as his weight moves the cross, his body only held in place by three nails. And he hangs suspended in time and space. Held there, not truly by three nails, but by his love for all of us. And all of the sin of the world is somehow placed on him as if God the Father took his hands, placed them on the head of Jesus, as you will, and imparted all the guilt of the sin of the entire world in him and on him at one time point in time you can open your eyes again I'm going to mute this microphone so you can get the point what the Bible tells us here is the way that, that he screamed it was a roar These few words show the depth. The anguish that Jesus faced on the cross. Mark 15, 33 says, Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour Jesus cried out in a loud voice. The words that are repeated here are not found anywhere else in Scripture because they are that important. But translated again, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I have to be honest with you that these these words have probably given me more trouble in my personal walk and my personal understanding in Jesus than any other words. Again, the Hebrew language speaks here of like of an animal roaring, like a literal, like a lion that is trapped, roaring. It's, it's, it's screaming out of deep anguish, out, out of the deepest parts of our souls, out of the depths of anguish here. And Jesus' anguish and suffering was unique in the fact that He alone offered Himself up for the sins of His people. Unique in that Jesus, the perfection of our faith, God the Father, God the Son, had all of the sins of the world, everyone living, everyone that has lived and everyone that will live, placed upon Him. And so yes, you can imagine. The only person ever to walk the face of the earth. He was fully God. He was fully man. He didn't do anything except what he saw the Father do. He didn't say anything except what he heard the Father say. And so you can imagine what it was like. Actually, I can't. I can't even begin to imagine what it was like to feel all of the sin of the world, of every single person. Someone that is so close, in such communion with the Father, to feel all of that sin and all of that pain all of the hate, all of the hurt. And so, yes, his anguish was deeper, deeper than anything that we could ever understand. But what Jesus was doing here was not truly expressing abandonment by his Father because the Bible tells us that God is true to his word, that he will never leave us or forsake us. The Bible also tells us that his promises are yes and amen how do you reconcile that? How do you reconcile Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And expressing something altogether different in this cry of anguish. You see, what he's doing is he's actually grounding himself in the word of God. He's grounding himself in this deep time of anguish and pain in the words of his father. He's grounding himself in his heritage, in the words of of King David. You see in Psalms 22 King David is speaking for himself and God's people but prophetically he's also speaking of what Jesus would say and I believe that the most intense suffering imaginable is to feel separated from God. I mean if you think about the depths of hell and the torment that could take place there, I believe that the true torment would be knowing that you are eternally separated from your Creator, from God. Because Acts 17:28 says, In Him we live and move and have our being. And it's not just that the enemy surrounded David, it's not just that the enemy surrounded Israel or Jesus, but that they felt cut off, if you will, from the presence of God. And that's what David is expressing here. I think sometimes we wonder how a loving God can stand by and allow things to happen in our life, allow bad things to happen in this world. In fact, that's one of the comments that you might hear quite often speaking to believers and unbelievers alike, is how does God allow these things to happen? And so when Jesus cries out here, my God, my God, there is so much more to it than just a feeling of being abandoned by his father. Psalms 22 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry to you in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season am not silent. Verse 3 says, But you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trust in you. They trusted in you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me, and they shout out the lip, and they shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let the Lord deliver him, since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me. For trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint, my heart is like wax, it has wel- melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet, and I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog, and save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. And so we can clearly see the crucifixion played out here for us in Psalms 22. Verses 1 of Psalms 22, again it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? I cry out in the daytime, but you don't hear. In the night season, and I'm not silent, but you are wholly enthroned in the praises of Israel. Even in his suffering... Even in wondering about the Father, we can see that Jesus never let go of his knowledge that God was his Father and that he is God and that he is good. Even in the midst of his anguish and despair, he articulates his faith in God. Jesus quotes this scripture in the opening words of of Mark, but those that heard it would no doubt have understood the context of his cry. And so I believe that when Jesus cried out there, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Everyone that was around him immediately knew this scripture. You can imagine them seeing what was happening on the cross and then immediately remember the words of Psalms 22. You see, not only does David remember that God is his God and the God of Israel, but this psalm points to the faithfulness of God in all of the history of Israel and God's past care of David in his own life. And so no doubt Jesus was quoting this, the beginning of this scripture to point out to himself and to others that God was in control, even in the midst of unimaginable pain and unimaginable anguish. You see, I believe that we would all benefit from practicing what we see laid out here in the Psalms. It's a recurring theme. It's to fill our minds with the memories of God's faithfulness. To remind ourselves of God's faithfulness, times where he has shown himself true, times where he has shown himself trustworthy in our lives, to reassure us of his present faithfulness, even when we feel that he is far off. Even when we cannot feel that God is moving, we can remind ourselves of the times that he has been true, the times that he has been steadfast. And so I think we can reinterpret what Jesus was crying out here in light of this psalms. Jesus is reassuring himself and those that follow him that no matter the present situation, God is faithful to accomplish his purpose. And it's no doubt any different for us today. God is faithful to accomplish his purpose through whoever he chooses to use, regardless of the situations in our lives. And I think sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that. And so Jesus had no doubt that God could help him and so he turned to the one who helped. Psalms 22 verse 19 says, But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. We must never stop praying, never stop looking to God, even in the midst of our deepest distress. We see oftentimes when we face situations, we tend to think that the situation that we face is greater than our God. We, we tend to think that the situation that we face, the enemies that we face, are stronger than the God that we serve. However, this is exactly when we need to turn to God the most. I tend to think that we, have, we believe some things about cheap grace about the Christian life being easy, about the Christian walk being one where everything is handed to us on a silver platter. Why on earth would we think that a true Christian walk would be easy? Look at the history of the disciples. I don't think anything in their life ended easy, but they did take up their cross daily, which is exactly what we should do. Regardless of the situations that we face, we should take up our cross daily and so as we look to the cross as we see the crucifixion played out here in Psalms 22 imagine again with me if you will Jesus on the cross suspended between heaven and earth enclosed on each side by two thieves a thief on his right and a thief on his left and with soldiers at the foot of the cross and if you look at Golgotha where Jesus was crucified it's it's not a very large hill the place of the skull but you can imagine at the top with the three crosses and Jesus in the center and soldiers at the bottom and then surrounded by a number of troops encircled around him. And right outside of that, Jesus' followers and Jesus' family and Jesus' friends along with the religious rulers that were mocking him. Psalms 22:16 says, For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Jesus knew this psalm and I believe that he quoted it because he identified with our suffering. Since he bore it on the cross for us. Hebrews 2 14 says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of the flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had power over death, which is the devil. Jesus delivered us by becoming our substitute, by becoming our sacrifice, the sacrifice for our sins. In the second part of this psalm,s when, when everything seems destroyed, when all hope seems lost, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, breathing his last breath, as, as the life in his body is slowly draining from him, All of a sudden, something happens in this psalms, And the mood and the tone change drastically. Praise takes place of pain. Anguish turns to ardent prayer and praise. Psalm 22, 22 says, I will declare your name, my brethren, in the midst of the assembly, and I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All descendants of Jacob, glorify Him. And fear him, all you offspring of Israel. What happens here is the failure that seems to be inescapable at the beginning of this psalm is now swallowed up in victory. You see, David is speaking prophetically of what would happen after the resurrection of Jesus. And we can imagine that Jesus used this inspiration as his life drained from his body. I can even imagine Jesus quoting this scripture, this entire psalm, over and over and over again to remind himself of God's glory and to remind himself of his purpose in this life. According to Psalms 2230, Posterity shall serve him, and it shall be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done this. What is this? He has secured victory. He has secured salvation to all of those that are willing to enter into relationship with Him. God's success through His Son not only affects those in the world at the time, and just, just imagine the effect that Jesus' death on the cross had on His disciples, but more so imagine when they went to the tomb and saw that the stone was rolled away Jesus was no longer there. Imagine the effect that that had on their life. It had such an effect that it changed the entire course of the world. No other person in the world that has ever walked this earth has had such an impact on all of history as Jesus did. Not only does it speak of affecting those in the world at that time but also every future generation that would come. This does not speak to a brief success but to an assurance that the time of suffering would indeed lead to a knowledge of the glory of God spreading throughout all the earth. And when Jesus ascended to heaven after he, would, after he was risen, he told his disciples to go and wait. The Bible tells us that they were in one accord. Men, women, children praying, seeking God. And at Pentecost, this scripture was fulfilled. As the language of God unified broke down the barriers that separated us in language. On the day of Pentecost we see that the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ began to spread throughout all of the earth. The gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ was not just for the Jews but for every single person. Even though suffering is present in this world, even though unimaginable grief, unimaginable pain is felt in this world and in our own lives, we can be assured that Jesus promises that he will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We are able to partake in this journey. We are able to participate in spreading the good news of Jesus Christ to the entire world. God achieves his purpose through those that he chooses. He chose David, he chose Jesus, and he chose you. Everyone in this room, everyone listening, was created on purpose for a purpose. And that purpose is to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because He has done it. Romans eleven thirty six For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. I firmly believe that God is trying to show us what it means to be redeemed here. And you can read Psalms 22. I encourage you to also go back and read Isaiah chapter 53. God's trying to show us in this psalms what it cost God. What it cost Jesus in order for us to be in relationship with Him. You see, Jesus laid down His life for us and no doubt used this psalm to strengthen His soul during His darkest hour as He hung on the cross, as He faced real, unimaginable unspeakable anguish. He faced them even unto death, but the Bible tells us that He overcame them. And so there is no doubt that everyone in this room today that is facing unimaginable anguish, we can overcome. Each and every single one of us can overcome through the power and the blood of Jesus Christ, regardless of the situations that we face and so I would ask this question as, as I close is there anyone in this room today that is facing something that you need to overcome are you facing temptation are you facing pain and anguish because I believe that this psalm presents us with a pattern that we can use in our own lives when we're faced with a battle and the pattern is simple and it is simply this real and inescapable problems in our lives should lead us to prayer Prayer then leads us to remembering God's faithfulness. Prayer leads us to remember time and time and time again how God made a way when there seemed to be no way, how God did what He promised He would do when there seemed to be no physical way that that could happen. And prayer leads us to also meditation on His Word, remembering the promises of God then Those both fulfilled in the past and those to be fulfilled in the the future help us to praise God. Prayer leads us to praise and to praise Him as we deserve. And then as we praise, somehow we find the courage and the strength through God to face the problems that have come into our lives. There's no way that Jesus would have been able to accomplish what he did on the cross for you and for me without prayer, without the word of God, without knowing that his father would do everything that he promised to do. And God did it. Through Jesus, he secured victory for each and every single one of us. And so when we face unimaginable pain, grief, anguish, when we are presented with temptation in this life. Remember the goodness of God and turn that into praise. And then in praise, walk out the life and the calling that God has for you. But most importantly, the only way that we can do that is through a real foundational relationship with Jesus Christ. Let us pray. God thank you for this opportunity to be here today God. We thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. God I thank you that my life is forever changed and I pray that you would help each and every single person under the sound of my voice right now that is walking through something that causes grief or pain, anguish. Sadness, frustration, anger, God, whatever the situation is. I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would help them to turn their anguish into ardent praise. And God, I pray that as we praise you, even in the midst of pain, that you would accomplish your will through our lives, God. And I pray that you would give us the faith to trust in you and to believe it to be so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Hey, I'm Morgan. Thanks for listening to this week's message. You can find us online at fcfrisco.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are located in Frisco, Texas. We have services on Sunday at 9.30 and 11 a.m. You can join us for our Wednesday experience at 6.30 p.m. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode.